I want to thank you for subscribing to our podcast and for listening today. Feel free if you would like uh, to rate and review us. Uh, we would also love to connect with you. If you would like to, to speak to a pastor or if you would want more information about our church, you can text CONNECT to 903-586-6520 and we will uh, certainly follow up with you. If you would like to uh, support the ministry here at, at Fellowship Bible Church, uh, we would greatly appreciate that. Uh, we have worked hard to improve our, our video quality and our online capabilities so that you can watch us during this uh, difficult time away safely from a distance. So uh, if, you would, if you would like to support the ministry here, you can text GIVE to the same number, 903 586-6520. We would greatly appreciate your support. And again, thank you for listening in. Well, as you settle in this morning, I want to begin just with a, a few questions for you to start. For our employers in here, how many of you give your employees a party at the end of each day for finishing the work for the day. How many of you employees get a party at the end of each work day just for doing your work? How many of you parents take your kids to go get ice cream every time they finish a homework assignment? No? Why not? Have they not deserve do they not deserve it? Have they not earned it? Why not? Because they're just doing what they're supposed to do, right? Many of us, we, we think in this way when it comes to work and school. We, we have these types of expectations when it comes to our jobs, when it comes to the schoolwork of our, our, our kiddos. And while many of us are on the same page on this, many believe that they are owed something, some kind of special blessing from God for simple obedience to him. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 17. Continuing our study through the gospel of Luke, Jesus is in the final stretch of his earthly ministry. He's getting ready to enter into Jerusalem and there he will be arrested and he'll be tried and beaten and killed. This story is, is moving toward the, the climax of Christ's salvific work at Calvary. But before Jesus goes to Calvary, he and his disciples, they travel all around that, that region. They go through cities and towns. They go from synagogues to marketplaces, from religious leaders to regular Joe types. And Jesus, all along the way, he is teaching them and also instructing his disciples on important lessons about himself. He is teaching them about the work that he will accomplish at, at Calvary and why he came from heaven to earth. And he also takes time to share with them what it takes to be a follower of his. In the passage we looked at several weeks ago when we were in Luke, we, we saw that at the beginning of, of chapter 17, Jesus gives 
his disciples some more important lessons on what it takes to be his disciples. And we said at that time that, that while Jesus' words in the first part of, of Luke 17, verses 1 through 6, while they're, while they're directed toward his disciples, they're also given in earshot of the religious leaders as well. We learned that they were, they were hanging around, listening in. In Luke 14 and 15, Jesus first he warns his disciples to not be a stumbling block to others, which the religious leaders certainly were. They were blind guides, blind shepherds, blind leaders of the blind. But he tells his disciples, well, while temptations are, are sure to come your way, and they, they definitely are, you can bank on that, they are not to be the vessels through which temptation comes. He warns them that while they might uh, escape sin, even when temptation comes, being his disciples, he says those who are enemies of his, those who have been given over to the flesh, to sin, those who have become tempters of, of others, they will not escape judgment. That I believe to be a warning to his disciples, but also to be a rebuke of the religious leaders standing by because they had rejected God's man, his Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. They relied upon keeping their, their man-made rituals and rules for a right standing with God, and they had led many astray. Jesus promises judgment to the one through whom temptations come. Jesus also calls for his disciples to boldly correct the, the wayward in love for the purpose of restoring them. And when those people sin against them, Jesus says, forgive them. How many times? As many times as they seek forgiveness. As many as seven times? Yes. Seventy-seven times, of course. Seventy times seven, as often as they repent. Again, Daryl Bach in his commentary on Luke says this. Look at this quote. I shared it with you last time. We're in Luke. As often as repentance occurs... Forgiveness should follow repentance. And upon hearing that, Jesus' disciples respond in humility. They believe that doing what Jesus says do here as his disciples will take an added dose or two of faith. So they say, Lord, then increase our faith. Jesus tells them, you don't need an extra dose of faith. You simply need faith. It's not the question of the size of your faith, but the presence of faith in your life. John MacArthur, when commenting on this passage, says this, Even a very small amount of faith, if it is genuine trust in God, can lead to remarkable results. The issue is not the size of faith, but its presence. Well, after calling for his disciples to faithfully follow him in this way, he then moves on to a warning to warn those who are faithful to him. Now, you would think if they're being faithful to him, that's all that's needed. But no, he issues a very important warning to obedient disciples by way of a parable. When you overcome temptation, 
When you are not the source of temptation, but an instrument for righteousness, when you're obedient to the commands of God and are faithful to lovingly correct the wayward and forgive and restore the repentant, then you're in danger of something else, the sin of pride. Listen, the temptation of the obedient is the sin of pride. Jesus warns against this here in this passage. It's important for us today, right? Many of us faithful churchgoers, this speaks to us today. Jesus in this parable, he warns of the sin of pride. He is telling them, do not let your obedience to God cause you to be prideful. Do not let your obedience cause you to think, you know what? I'm something. I'm really something. Look at what I'm doing. Look at the life I'm living. I bet my mansion and glory is airing on lifestyles of the rich and famous in heaven. Do not let your righteous acts lead you to think that God owes you something. That he is in your debt. Do not let your obedience lead you to think that, that you have done enough for God and you can just kick back and sit back and do nothing. Remember again that the fruit that is present in your heart and life is present because God gave it to you. God did that work. Okay, you're a person of faith. God gave you that faith. By grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. You know what that means in the Greek? This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. Your faith is a gift from God. It is by God's grace that you are who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ. Something else you, you have to realize as well is that when you're obedient to God, get this, this is so very important. You are only doing what God calls for all of his followers to do. You are simply fulfilling your job requirement as a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're not exceeding what his followers are commanded to do. If anything, you're underperforming. We're being honest. That's true. Do you realize one of the reasons why we meet here week in and week out? Yes, we meet here corporately to worship God for the awesome work that he has done in our life. But we are also here to seek help for our underperformance in our obedience to God. We're here to get equipped to do the work of ministry. And we have to be redirected again and again by the Spirit through the Word, away from worldly thoughts, away from worldly activities, to heavenly things and kingdom work. You want a slice of humble pie? Some of you are like, I've had enough, thank you. Listen, many of us as followers of Jesus, we don't follow well. We don't. We underperform. As followers of Christ, we don't do obedience well. While you, you may be tempted on occasion to, to praise an employee at the end of the day for getting more than, than what he has for the day, more work done than, than usual, you're not going to praise an employee for having a pile of work left 
on his or her desk at the end of the day, right? Believers, there is always work left undone by us. There is. There is always more for us to do. Let me ask you this. How many times in the past week have you loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength in your neighbor as yourself? How many times? How many times in the past month? How many times in the past year? See, we, we underperform when it comes to our obedience all the time. At times, people act as if they got the Christian life licked, as if their, their works merit God's blessing in the here and now. Truth be told, not one of us is overperforming when it comes to obedience. Quite the opposite. Robert Stein, in his commentary on Luke, says this. Look at this. At their very best, all believers have done is what they should have done. For example, what the commandments teach. They have not done more than that. On the contrary, usually they have done much less. Lig Duncan says this. It is literally impossible for us to do more than we're commanded to do. First of all, because we're sinners and we never, ever do what we're commanded to do. But second of all, even as creatures, we can't do more than we're commanded to do. That is Jesus' point in this parable that he tells in Luke chapter 17, verses 7 through 10. I'm going to read it for us and then uh, draw out some points of application. Let's begin reading in verse 7. Hear the word of God, believers. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded... Say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Let's pray. Father, protect us from the sin of pride. Remind us this very day that it is by your grace that we are who we are and are where we are. May we never try and rob you of the glory and praise you alone deserve for saving us and for growing us in godliness. May we leave here this day with our minds right as we examine our own changed lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A few points of application that I want you to see here from this text of Scripture that I I believe will help you guard against pride as you're being obedient to the Lord. Point number one, do not view your obedience as something that forces God's hand. Many pridefully think that God exists to do man's bidding and that man can activate his will and force his hand through what one says and does. Our obedience is not leverage that we use against God to force him to act in our favor. Jesus speaks against this in this parable by painting a very familiar picture. 
This is a setting that many in Jesus' audience would have been very, very familiar with and could relate to. And when we understand it, we can relate to it as well. The master in this story is, is uh, uh, probably just a small farmer. We're told he only had one servant, again, relatable to anybody in the crowd in that day. And we're told that this man's servant, he put in a typical day's work out in the field. When he gets home, there's still work for this servant to do. That would have been typical in the life of a servant in this day. And many in this agrarian society, they would have understood this. This guy serves all day in the field with his master. At the end of the day, he would have taken time to first serve his master dinner before he would then stop to have dinner himself. Jesus basically says here, this man's obedience, this servant's work alongside his master would not have earned him any special privileges or any exemptions for the day. He simply did his job. Fulfilling his obligations as a hired hand would have not forced his master's hand. It would have not forced him to allow for him to skip out on the evening responsibilities of serving him dinner. Completing his daily chores would have not have backed his master into a corner and driven him to have him sit with him at the table. It would not have even earned him a thank you. Not even a thank you from his master's lips. It's just a typical day's work. How many of you employers go around to every employee every day and spend about 15 minutes thanking them for the work they did on that day? Some of you are like, I do that. Okay, well, let me ask you this. How many of you, for somebody completing a day's worth of work, you give them the last two hours off paid because they've done it? No, that's not necessary, right? They're doing what they were hired to do. Same is true of us in our service to God. Our obedience to God does not force him to give us any special treatment as his children. We do not corner God with the things we do for him and force him to give us special exemptions. When we are obedient to God, we're simply doing what disciples are supposed to do. Bruce Barton in his commentary on Luke says this, Obedience is not something extra done for God. It is the duty of anyone who desires to be a Christ follower. So very important for us to keep in mind as believers. This keeps us humble. It really does. When we realize that all we are doing as servants of Christ, all that's, all that's possible for us to do is, is what we've been called to do. On our best day, when we're obedient, we're just doing what we were called to do. That, that keeps us humble, doesn't it? It really does. And it protects us from the sin of pride. You're going to be reminded this week in your study guide of this important truth. You're going to be asked to focus on areas where you are underperforming in your obedience to God. And you're going to be encouraged to confess that to God and ask that he give you the grace you need to faithfully live for him. And, and listen to this as well. The fact that we are underperforming in our service to the Lord should not discourage you. It should encourage you to see your need for more and more of the grace of God so that you can be who he's called you to be. 
It will not only protect you from the sin of pride, it'll keep you needy. It'll keep you dependent, humbly dependent on God for the grace you need to live for him. That's how it works. Second point that will help you guard against pride is you're being obedient to the Lord. Point number two, do not view your obedience as something that merits divine blessing. Do not view it as forcing God's hand to provide special exemptions for you. And do not view it as something that merits his blessing. Look at, let's look at the passage again, the parable again, beginning in verse 7. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So just like the servant putting in a hard day's work did not even merit a thank you, your obedience does not merit Blessing. It does not force God's hand to act in your favor. It does not put God in your debt. God does not owe you or me anything. He does not owe you blessing for your faithfulness. Your obedience does not merit some sort of special response from the master. You have simply done your job when you are obedient. Now, does this mean that God does not bless us? No, this, this does not mean that, that, that our God is not a benevolent master. He absolutely is so much more so than any employer, so much more so than a father. But according to Jesus here, his blessing is not contingent on our obedience. Our obedience does not force him to bless us. Now, this message is for Jesus' disciples, but remember who's standing nearby. The religious leaders. This is certainly for them. In this day, we talked about this. They functioned on this idea of reciprocity. This idea that I scratch your back, you scratch mine. And they applied that to one another. They also applied that to God. They believed and taught that if you uh, did certain acts of obedience unto God, that put God in a position where he must bless you. It was a source of pride for them, caused them to kind of look at themselves and their status and how they had prospered in life and say, wow, we must be doing good in the obedience department. And it also led for, for them to look down on those who were suffering because they believed that suffering to be a consequence of their disobedience. They're really messed up on this. God is not indebted to us for simple obedience to him. He does not owe us blessing, but also, our God is also not a stingy, tight-fisted taskmaster either. He is a loving and gracious, benevolent, heavenly Father who loves to lavishly pour out blessings on His children. I don't know about you, but I sure don't want to know what my works alone get me. I don't want to know that. I'll be honest with you, I underperform daily in my obedience to the Lord. I don't obey well. 
I have to preach my sermons to myself again and again and again before I ever bring them in here. I have to visit my master's office on the job on a daily basis to confess sin and seek forgiveness. And I'm sure many of you, if you're being honest, you would admit the same. Am I right? But get this, the truth that we underperform in our obedience to God, that truth that we're not grace graduates, not a one of us, that should not discourage us to the point of giving up, but should motivate us again to keep trusting, keep believing, keep striving, keep working so that we keep growing. And get this, the more we grow, the more clearer we see ourselves and how far we have to go, which should result in us continuing to strive and grow until Jesus returns and makes us like him. That's how the Christian life works. It keeps us humble, but it keeps us faithful. That's where you want to be. Humble and faithful. This truth produces those works. That's how the Christian life works. Hopefully, none of you in here think or any listening online think that you've done enough for the kingdom. Hopefully, there are none in here, none at home. Kick back at the master's table while there is work still to be done. That time of Sabbath rest is coming for us believers, but it's not yet here. There is still kingdom work to be done. So we got to get busy. Last point. Third and final point of application from this text that will help you guard against pride as you're being obedient to, obedient, obedient to the Lord is this. Do not view your obedience through the lens of personal effort, but through the lens of divine grace. Look at verse 10 again. So you also... When you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. How do you perceive yourself spiritually? You believe you're a hot commodity, God's kingdom, or an unworthy servant? You believe that God is blessed to have you in the lineup? Or are you puzzled at his selection of you? God goes out of his way to let us know that while we are his image bearers, his chosen and highly favored children, his choosing of us is not based upon anything favorable in us. We have been shown unmerited and undeserved favor by God. We are undeserving, unworthy servants. And get this, again, that is our motivation for serving the Lord. God's grace keeps us humble and it motivates us to be faithful. Keeps us humble and motivates us to be faithful. The fact that you have been freed from the bondage of sin and made a slave to Jesus Christ is an act of God's grace. God wants you to see that. He wants you to know that. He wants you to believe that. 
so that in turn you serve him in humility, so that you serve him out of a sense of love and gratitude toward him, not to get anything in return, not to get any sort of special praise or be singled out in any sort of special way. You don't deserve that. God gives it. He blesses us. He favors us, but we don't deserve that. It's important that we keep this in mind so that we're humble and so that we remain faithful. Do you realize that there is only one who in the flesh has merited the Father's favor, and that's not you, and that's not me. That's his son, Jesus Christ. That's it. The only one. And the reason why is because he did voluntarily what we were commanded to do but failed to do. He became one of us. Being what we were not, God, he became what we are, a man, so that he could make us what we were not, righteous. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Christ came. He became one of us. He obeyed God perfectly for us. God commanded us to live our lives for him and for his glory. We failed to. He sent his son who became one of us to live the perfect life in our place. And he succeeded in every way. We failed. God the son obeyed for us and he laid his life down. He was crucified on our behalf, crushed by God for us so that we through that work earned for us could have what we do not deserve, his righteous life in exchange for our sinful one, the blessing of forgiveness and reconciliation to God through faith in him. We did not earn that. Christ did for us. We did not deserve that. God gave it to us. He showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, he sent Christ to come and die for us. Grace. We deserve separation. We deserve judgment. Christ endured that in our place so that we could be forgiven and so that we could become sons of God and servants of his. And the question for you today is this. Have you received this gift of salvation are you a deserved enemy of God's or an undeserved child of his? I pray you choose the latter if you have not by choosing Christ. If you're here this morning, if you're listening online and you have not turned from your sin and placed your faith and trust in Christ alone for your salvation, I pray today be the day that you forsake sin, believe on Jesus and be saved. Let's pray together.